All right, as we're standing, let me read a passage of scripture that strikes at the heart of what we're going to be looking at today. It's from Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. This is Jesus' word to us. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word to us, the power of your word to us. And we open our hearts to you and ask you to speak to us. We pray that you would speak, Holy Spirit, to each one of us here. We love you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would use my words for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So hello, everyone. Greetings to our traditions, those who are in our traditions venue and those who are watching online and all of you who are here. We are in the midst of a teaching series in which we're talking about relationships, how to experience loving, healthy relationships. More specifically, how do we break free from those negative relational patterns that we seem to get stuck in? And so we have spent the last three weeks laying a critically important foundation, the importance of looking beneath. We started there, looking at our heart. And then we talked about the importance of looking at our past. And then last week, Pastor Stetson did a great job talking about the life-giving power of, of vulnerability, opening our hearts to others. So if you missed any of those messages, I encourage you to to listen to them online or on our app. These messages really do kind of build on each other. Well, today we're going to focus on something that has a huge impact in all of our relationships, but we are often completely unaware of it. So I want to start by doing a little experiment. Um, this actually, this experiment actually occurred, literal experiment in 1944. Two researchers did this experiment back in 1944. It was called an experimental study of apparent behavior. So these researchers, get, researchers gathered 34 participants, 34 people, who watched this short video. And as they were watching this video, each person was asked to write down what is happening in this video. What's happening in this video? So let's just take a few moments here and just watch. Okay, so what is happening in this video? Of the 34 subjects who watched this video, 33 of them described an elaborate story. One said that this is about a man who planned to meet a girl, but the girl comes along with another man. Another described the larger triangle as a villain and a bully um, trying to break up two young lovers. There was only one participant in the entire study who described what was actually happening. Geometric shapes were moving around. (laughs) 
I'm sure that many of us here had already begun creating this story about what we were seeing. The big triangle is horrible, you know, is mean, and the little circle is so cute and innocent. See, what, what this study revealed is that we as humans are instinctive story creators. Our brains are wired for story. This is why we love movies. This is why from an early age we we loved to have books read to us. Our brains were created to naturally connect information into a story, which is awesome and it reveals so much about this God who created us. He is a God of story and he invites us into his story. So that's, that's awesome. It's a really cool thing. However... This innate tendency to take information and create a story sometimes works against us in our relationships. Because what happens is that we take the limited information we are observing and we create a story in our mind that matches the, 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 what, what, the reality that we're observing. But the problem is, often the story in our mind is not fully accurate, which can cause significant damage to our relationships. So a few weeks ago, our son Josh um, came home um, from school. Josh has some significant special needs. He came home from school with a letter to parents that was asking for our permission for him to participate in a nine-week class at school that would talk about appropriate and inappropriate sexual contact. Now, the description to parents, it looked like helpful information, um, but there was one thing on the list of topics that I just had a question about. I needed more clarification. I just wanted to make sure that they weren't going to be discussing sex ed things with Josh that would not be, he would not be able to understand. It would do more harm than good all at his age and his understanding and all that. We would rather talk about some of those things at home. So I emailed my question to the person who would be teaching the class, and she immediately responded, but she didn't really answer my question specifically. And so I emailed her back with a more detailed question. You know, is this going to be covered? All that stuff, just more detailed. And then I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear anything back. So in the absence of not hearing anything from her for a few days, I began forming in my mind this story about how she was probably hiding something. Um, And this was sort of, this this was a subversive way to talk to kids about sex without letting the parents know the details of what they were discovering. And the more I thought about this, the angrier I found myself becoming. And, and, And I seriously, I was seriously thinking about calling the school principal with my concerns about this subversive plot. Well, in her first email to me, she had actually given her cell number and encouraged me to call if I had any more questions. And so finally, since I hadn't heard for a few days, um, I I decided to call her, and we had a conversation. And uh, she was very kind, and she was very understanding, and she assured me that they would not be discussing the specific things that I was concerned about and that it would be geared towards... um, Kids like Josh, with special, kids with special needs like, like Josh, it would be geared towards their level and all that. And how after each class, they would be sending home a detailed description of what they talked about that day. So I got off the phone and I was like, I am so glad I didn't call the school principal. I mean, seriously, the story that I was creating in my mind based on the limited information that I had was not true. It was not true, but I was believing it to be true. 
See, here's the deal. We do this all the time. In our marriage, in our friendships, in our work relationships, in our neighborhoods, we create in our minds narratives about other people based on what we think is happening. We make assumptions about them based upon our narrative, right? When the reality is our narrative often is not true. I mean, have you ever sent a text to someone? You send it off and then you see the dot, dot, dot. They're responding, right? And then it just goes dark. They, nothing. They don't say anything. So what story do you begin to tell yourself? That this person is too busy for you? That they don't like you? Uh, that, that they just don't care? They just wish you would stop texting them? Or they don't want to be your friend anymore? So now the, the story that we're telling ourselves starts feeding our own insecurity and our feelings of rejection or whatever. Just a personal little confession here, sort of, I don't know if it's a confession, just opening vulnerability. But if I don't see someone in church for a while, I often find myself subconsciously creating a narrative in my mind, right? I bet they left the church when I did that sermon on giving, uh, you know? <laughs> I'm sure of it. Or, or maybe they like so-and-so's preaching better than mine, right? And I start thinking this. And now, now, now suddenly, I have all these negative emotions that are attached to my story because it's hitting my own insecurities. And they're all, they're all based on a narrative that I have been creating in my mind. And then let's say I see them a few weeks later and find out they've been in, in Florida caring for an aging parent or whatever, now, please hear me. I'm not saying this to make anyone feel guilty about missing church. Really, really, this is my issue. I'm sharing this because this is my issue. But what stories, what stories are you telling yourself about the people around you? See, we may think that this tendency is harmless. It's a natural tendency. It's a harmless thing. No big deal. It is actually a huge deal, relationally speaking. In the, book of, in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, God gives his people a list of commandments that describe his heart for how we are to treat other people. We, we, we often call these the Ten, the ten Commandments, right? Many of them, uh, the, the second half, they, they really are primarily focused on relationships. Things like honor your father and mother and don't murder and don't commit adultery and, and do not steal. I mean, these are significant issues in our relational health, right? These are significant issues. Well, then God says this. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, we tend to interpret this, oh, you shall not lie. We, we just interpret this, through the, you know, this blatantly lying to someone is wrong, and absolutely it is. We, we just, but we tend to interpret it that way. But in actuality, this commandment that I just read, that commandment applies so powerfully to our tendency to create stories. Had I called the principal of the school with my concerns, I would have been giving false testimony against this person. I would have been slandering their character and sharing my assumptions about this person's motive rather than sharing information that was actually true. And then... Had I gone on Facebook and ranted about my perception, the damage would have only increased. 
as author Peter Scazzaro, we, we use it, this series is based on um, some of his material. Um, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is one of his, his really good books. But he, he says this, every time I make an assumption about someone without confirming it, I am at risk for believing a lie about this person. My assumption is just a breath away from misrepresenting reality and effectively bearing false witness against my neighbor. See, in doing so, we wreak havoc in our relationships by allowing deception and lies to undermine trust and truth. We create confusion. We create disinformation, which, which destroys relationships. And let's not forget Let's not forget that our enemy, our enemy loves to jump into these narratives we're creating and add some fuel to the fire. Whisper lies. Yeah, that person really doesn't like you anyway. And whispering lies about this other person's motives and character. That's what's going on. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 7, I read this a moment ago, do not judge or you too will be judged. This word judge that he uses here, it's not just talking about just being discerning. No, he, the word judge here means to form and or express a negative opinion or a negative judgment about someone. And Jesus goes on then in this passage to talk about how we need to remove the plank out of our own eye so that we can see that, you know, remove the speck of sawdust in another person's eye. And the analogy is hilarious, right? Because we're focused on the speck and we've got this log coming out of our own eye. It's hilarious. But, you know, having a plank in our eye, think about this as it relates to what we're talking about. Having a plank in our eye keeps us from seeing the truth about this other person. So what's, what's the plank? Well, one of the planks is the assumptions that we're making about this person. That's one of the planks in our own eye. It's the, 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 our assumptions about this person, our negative perceptions, which quick, we have a negative perception, and that quickly turns into a negative attitude towards this person, which then we share, we often share with other people. And the damage and, and the poison just spreads. This is at the root of how prejudice happens. Think about the word prejudice. What is prejudice? It means to prejudge. That's what the word means, to prejudge a person. We make an assumption about a person because of how they dress or what generation they're in. Boomers make assumptions about millennials all the time, right? And millennials make assumptions about boomers. We make assumptions about people based upon how they vote or what skin color they have. White people are always... Uptight. I don't know, whatever you'd fill it in. I'm white, so I'm not exactly sure. But, 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 or, or Latinos are always fill in the blank, right? Or African Americans are. We, we fill in the blanks. Or we make assumptions about people based on their sexual orientation. Gay people are always fill in the blank, right? Straight people are always. Or we make assumptions based upon religious persuasion. If you're a Christian, you must be a hateful hypocrite, right? Um, or if you're a Muslim, then you must be, again, fill in the blank. We do this all the time. We make assumptions about people, assumptions that are maybe, often, you know, they're fed by our own past experiences, maybe, or family upbringing, or peers, or whatever subculture we happen to find ourselves in. And these assumptions... 
they often have a negative feeling attached to them. A feeling of disgust or anger or hatred or avoidance or superiority toward this person. We prejudge them based on these assumptions we're making about them. How much relational damage has occurred in our marriages, in our churches, in our small groups, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, all because of our instinctive tendency to create a story about another person without ever confirming it. There is a powerful example of this in the Old Testament book of Joshua, which describes the 12 tribes of Israel entering into the land that God had promised, right? It's a big deal. Joshua divides up the land among the 12 tribes, and then everyone disperses to go to their new homes. Well, three of the tribes, three of the tribes are given land on the other side of the Jordan. Everyone else is over here, but three of the tribes are given land on the east side of the Jordan. And so before they cross the Jordan River, they're all dispersed, before they cross the Jordan River to get to their, their areas, they decide to build a huge monument on this side of the Jordan. Huge monument. Well, the other nine tribes, when the other nine tribes hear about this, they are not happy. Joshua 22, look at this. And when the Israelites, the nine tribes, heard that they, the others, had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Geloth near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel, these nine tribes, gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, what is happening here? These nine tribes are using the limited information they have. A monument's been built. That's all they know. They're using that limited information to create a story about their fellow Israelites. A story that has them so enraged that they are ready to kill all of them. So what's the story they're telling themselves? Verse 16, the whole assembly of the Lord says, how could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? They assume that this altar is an act of rebellion, that these, that these three tribes are now planning on worshiping other gods. And that concern is legitimate, right? They don't want them to worship other gods. It's a big deal for Israel. So that concern is legitimate. But the problem is the story they're telling themselves hasn't been confirmed by these three tribes. They are all just assuming that the story they have created in their minds is true. That they have accurately interpreted the data correctly and they're willing to go to war over it. Thankfully, before a sore is drawn, they go to these three tribes and deliver in very strong words all of their accusations. Right, So after all the accusations and lectures, you can read it for yourself, it goes on and on and on. After all the accusations and all the lectures are delivered by these nine tribes, these other three tribes are finally given an opportunity to actually tell their side. <laughs> Verse 22, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows and let Israel know. 
If this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. No, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? You have no share in the Lord. So your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That's why we said, let us get ready and build an altar. They weren't building an altar to worship other gods. They were building an altar as a symbol of their commitment to God and their desire for the next generation, the next generation to see their commitment. And yet because of an assumption made by the other tribes, a war almost broke out. (laughs) A war almost broke out. Again, the question How much damage, how much damage has been done in our relationships because of assumptions we have made about other people, conclusions we have come to about them without ever having a conversation with them? They didn't say hi to me, so they're probably ticked off. They didn't make eye contact. Oh, I bet they're mad about filling the blanks. How many friendships have grown distant because of this? How many churches have been split because of this? How many small groups have shrunk in size because of this? How many marriages have become frozen because of this? How many conflicts have erupted on social media in the last week because of this? How much unnecessary violence is occurring in our nation and our world because of this? This is a big deal. This is a big deal. At a global level, it is a big deal. At a societal level, and it is also a very big deal. At a personal level, we have got to stop mind reading. We have got to stop making assumptions about other people based on our limited perspective or we just start connecting the dots that we see and drawing this picture of what must be happening because of this and then last week they did this and a year ago, remember they said that? Oh, wow, look at that. We've got to stop that. We have got to stop it, assuming, making assumptions about other people because of our, from our limited perspective. Okay, so how, how do we do that? How do we get on the life-giving side of this so that our relationships are not damaged by this dynamic? Well, there, there are two critically important skills that we need to practice in order to break this negative relational pattern. And I, you know, this is all about practical application. And, and you know, Jesus said, blessed are those who put these things into practice. So this is about two ways to practice this so that it doesn't happen. It doesn't undermine, these assumptions don't undermine our relationships. First skill, have the conversation. Have the conversation. The best way to stop assuming and stop mind reading is to actually have a conversation with the person with whom we're having or, or about whom we're, having, we're making these assumptions. See, we see this in the story we just read in the book of Joshua, and we see this in my example um, of, of that class at my son's school. I mean, think about this. 
in both of those situations, what changed, what, what, in that, what happened in both of those stories that completely changed the relational dynamic from let's kill these people to group hug, from I'm going to call that principal and let him know what's really happening to, wow, that class is going to be so helpful for my son. What moved from here to here? A conversation. <laughs> One conversation. A willingness to have the conversation. Asking this person to share their story, to share why they did what they did. Rather than assuming that we know what's going on in their heart. We know why they didn't look at us. We know why they, but whatever. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Unlike God, we are not omniscient. We're not. We do not know what other people are thinking or why they are doing what they're doing, no matter how clear a picture we think we have. So letting them actually share their perspective can have a huge impact on our relationship. I'll never forget a story um, that I, I saw Brene Brown um, share, um, who's this expert on shame and has written a number of books. Um, it was on Netflix. I don't know if it's still on there. It was, I watched it about a year ago. Um, she told the story about being on vacation with her family, um, her husband and her kid. They took their kids to this cabin um, at a, on a lake in Texas. And one morning, before the kids got up, her and her husband took a swim, and they both kind of were competitive swimmers earlier in life, and so swimming was something they could do together. So they got up early, they took out in this lake, just began to swim, and so they're, they're, they start swimming out to the middle of this lake. And as they're doing that, Brene, Brene, the, the wife, her heart is just filled with joy in this moment. She just feels so connected to her husband and so grateful for their family and their relationships. She's just, her heart is just overflowing with these feelings of just love and joy. So when they get to the midpoint of the swim in the middle of the lake, they drive out, they, they swim out halfway. They get to the midpoint and they're going to turn around. They start to turn around and head back. And as they're turning in the water, she stopped him for just a moment and said, hey, look, I just want you to know how much I love you. And that I am so thankful for you and my life and just this opportunity to be together. And he responded by saying, don't worry, I'm going to take care of the kids. And then he started back. And she was like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. This, this is a really tender moment here. Okay, this is a really tender moment. I'm, I'm just opening my heart to you. I'm just so in love with you and I'm just so grateful. And, 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 and again, he was like, I'll take care of the kids. Don't worry, I'll take care of the kids. And then he just started swimming back to shore. He just totally dismissed what she was saying. So... He's swimming back to shore. As she starts swimming back to shore, she's thinking to herself, he doesn't love me anymore. And I know I don't look nearly as good in a swimsuit as I used to look. I know that, you know, and, and, and I, I, I'm, not the, I'm not the same woman he married. I've probably put on weight. He's, 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 he's disappointed in me. He's probably thinking about filing for divorce. She's thinking all these things as she's swimming back to shore. And, and, and by the time they got back to shore, she was angry. She was hurt. She wouldn't even talk to him. She just headed up to the cabin. So finally he stopped her and he said, what is going on? Um, and she was like, what is going on with you? Um, I was trying to, trying to have this tender moment, you know, out there in the middle of the lake and you just blew me off. Am I not good enough for you? And he was like, hold on. I was having a mild panic attack swimming in open water. 
And I was just trying to keep my brain focused on getting back. I didn't really hear anything you were saying to me out there. Suddenly, all those conclusions she had been making about herself and his lack of interest in her disappeared when she heard what was really going on in him. See, so the first way we remove the plank of our own assumptions is to actually stop and hear this other person's perspective, have the conversation, to hear why they did what they did, why they didn't immediately text you back, why they seem to be giving you a cold shoulder, why they haven't come to your small group in several weeks, why they didn't come to your gathering, your Super Bowl party, whatever. Now, now the reality is your assumptions may actually be true. And that's okay. That's okay. Because it now means you've had the conversation. It now means that you have accurate information to discern and exercise wisdom in this relationship. So that's okay if it actually confirms your assumptions. A lot of times, it's going to confirm the opposite. The person's going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I didn't know I didn't make eye contact with you. I didn't even see you in the store. That's often what happens. But anyway, have the conversation. Okay, well, that leads to the second critically important skill to help us in our relationships, and that is to clarify expectations. Clarify expectations. This is huge. Unmet expectations wreak havoc in our relationships. When Raylene and I got married, she expected me to be the handyman who could fix anything and who loved to do do-it-yourself projects, you know. I barely knew how to use a plunger, you know. I mean, and, and I, didn't, I didn't enjoy, still don't really, uh, enjoy do-it-yourself repairs. She gets all excited. I'm like, eh, let's hire someone. Um, and, and for me, I, I want, expected her to love golf, you know, and to enjoy watching a football game with me. We all have expectations in our relationships, but here, here's what is really scary about our expectations. Often, we are completely unaware that we have these expectations until they aren't met. And then we get angry or resentment starts to build. Why doesn't he ever? Why doesn't she ever? Why doesn't our small group ever get together for a game night? Why isn't this person ever on time for a meeting? Why don't we sing more hymns? Why don't we sing more Hillsong United? Why don't our kids ever call? Why don't we as a family ever eat meals together anymore? There are all sorts of expectations that we have in our relationships, many of which we aren't even aware of. And if we aren't aware of them, guess what? The other person is not aware of them either <laughs> because we haven't communicated our expectations to them. This is why this skill is so important. Clarify expectations. So what that means is be willing, first of all, to admit you have certain expectations. Admit it. Just admit it. It's okay. You have certain expectations of this person. You have certain expectations of this relationship. Let's own our expectations rather than pretending we don't have them. Okay, so first of all, own our expectations. And then be willing to clearly communicate what our expectations are in this relationship. 
on your, work, your, your team at work or in your small group or in, your, in this church or whatever. See, when we acknowledge our expectations and then communicate those to the other person, we then can come to an understanding about that expectation rather than having it continually be hidden and wreaking havoc. We bring it out into the open. Now, sometimes when we communicate our expectation, the other person will say, I cannot agree to that expectation. I, I can't do that. It is unrealistic from my perspective. I can't do that. I am not able to meet for coffee every week for two hours. Or I'm not able to fix the disposal on my own without calling for reinforcements. Or, you know, with my current work schedule, I'm just not able to be at every small group meeting. See, this is helpful to know, right? Even if someone can't meet them, it's at least helpful to know. I mean, we may be disappointed, but at least now we have clarity. Now, other times when we share our expectations, the other person says, you know, I didn't know that this was something, this was that important to you. I didn't know. Um, but I do know now, and I'm going to try and do that. I will watch the Bronco game with you. I will work really hard to be home by 530. And if not, I will call you. Um, or I will put my cell phone away when we get together to talk. I didn't realize how my tendency to keep checking my phone was impacting how you feel. It is amazing. It is amazing what can happen when we stop mind reading and making assumptions about people. And instead, we choose to have the conversation and clarify our expectations. Wars are averted Small groups stay together. Friendships are strengthened. Marriages are healed. I had a really cool experience last Thursday night. Uh, there was a, there's a small group in our church of retired people, um, retired folks, dear folks, and they had a number of questions about things at the church, um, the West Campus development, why we're putting a hold on that, and some questions about worship and music and some things like that. And um, they emailed me and said, would you be able to come to our small group? We just have a bunch of questions. And then they emailed me, emailed me the questions, which is awesome. There were two pages, uh, so, which is awesome. Um, so, and then I, I saw some of them had to do with worship, and I said, hey, Rocky, would you come with me? Let's just go to this group. And so we went. It was awesome for two hours. We just, we just talked about expectations. We talked about um, why we're doing certain things and, and uh, the West Campus, the story of how, why we're hitting pause and there was a whole story to that. And, and, um, um, and, and, and they had questions about worship and Rocky, just, he just talked about some of the, the challenges in this room acoustically and we realized, you know, some, some places it's kind of uncomfortable. To, all these things were like, we're in our speakers are like 17 years old and we realized we need some newer equipment and some reposition, all these stuff. We just, but it was just this, this awesome conversation. And, and I, both ways, I mean, we were hearing and they were hearing and, and, I drove away from that afterwards. It was like two and a half hours. It was, it was really wonderful. I drove away thinking, that was so cool. That's what the church is supposed to be like. <laughs> let's have the conversation. Rather than let's just sit in our group and let's assume this is why that happened and, and that's why this is going on. And, you know, how about we just have the conversation? And I was like, oh, God, that was so cool. <laughs> That was such a wonderful experience. 
It was so powerful. The relational impact of these kinds of conversations is huge. Now, I guess we shouldn't really be surprised at how impactful this is because what we're really talking about here is love, right? We're talking about what love looks like, choosing to actually practice love. The Apostle Paul, in, in, in the book of Galatians, he says this amazing thing. He says the entire law, and we can certainly, you know, the whole Ten Commandments, put that all in there. He says the entire law is summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, that, so, so when we choose to not bear false witness against someone, we choose not to assume things about them, and instead, we choose to have the conversation and choose to clarify expectations and hear them and share our heart, all that. When we do that, we're demonstrating love. We are demonstrating love. No wonder it has such a huge impact on our relationships. We're just following Jesus. That's what we're doing. We're following Jesus. We are doing what Jesus would do. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right, let's pray together. <clears throat> so, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? We just want to quiet our hearts here. And God, there are some things we're probably thinking about, but we want you to take them deep, deeper right now into our own hearts. This isn't about the person next to us. This is, what are you saying to us? So let's just ask the Lord. I want to encourage you, if you're comfortable doing this, just in the quiet of your heart, let's just ask the Lord, are there any relationships in my life where I am making assumptions about someone? I'm drawing conclusions about them based on my limited information. So if something's come to mind, would you just take a moment, I encourage you to take a moment and ask for forgiveness. Just say, Jesus, would you forgive me? I have been connecting all these dots about this person based on experiences over five years or whatever, and I've got this picture of why they're doing what they're doing, but I've never talked with them. Would you forgive me for the judgments I have made? Forgive me for the prejudging, the prejudice that I have against certain groups of people or certain people. And now, Lord, I just, I just want to ask for all of us, I just sort of pray, would you give us the courage to have the conversation, to actually have the conversation, to hear this person's story, to share maybe where our feelings got hurt or whatever, just to have the conversation and understand where this person is coming from. And I want to also just pray, Holy Spirit, just right now we'll do another question here just to ask the Lord, are there any relationships in my life where I have unspoken expectations of someone? Would you open our eyes, Lord, to see any expectations? Maybe we haven't even been aware of them, but would you open our eyes to see if we have, there's a relationship where we have expectations of someone and we have never 
had the conversation. Would you help us see these expectations, Lord? There's nothing shameful about having expectations, but we understand the havoc they wreak when they're not acknowledged and they're not communicated. And so we pray that we would own our expectations and we would clearly communicate them. We pray for clarity, for healing, for understanding. However, you're gonna apply this message, Lord. In whatever relationships, all the relationships represented here, Lord, we thank you that you are at work in us. You're using your word to sharpen us and help us be emotionally healthy people and to have emotionally healthy relationships. And so we pray for the courage to practice these things and for healing to come in relationships, Lord. Oh, we love you. We love you, God. And Lord, I know we're, we're going to transition here to worship. And I, boy, I, I know some of us here probably are just like, I don't want to sing right now. I just need to process, which is totally cool. If that's you, just you can stay seated and you can just keep processing as the worship team sings and leads some songs. You can use the steps on the side to kneel. If you want to go receive prayer from a prayer team member, man, if you're still processing, just be there with the Lord. And you can continue this conversation anytime with him. But we also want to enter into a time where the word becomes this movement in our hearts towards Jesus, this sense of, oh, would you help me, Lord, build my life on your love? Would you help me? Because you're amazing. Would you fill us, Holy Spirit? So that, Lord, I just pray for that spirit as we enter into worship now, wherever we're at, whatever level we want to engage in, God, we, we, we welcome you to hear our hearts, to hear our hearts right now, to receive our worship because we love you, Lord. We love you so much. <laughs>